As we continue through the book of James, through our summer series, I invite you to open your Bibles to James chapter 3. Um, if you're not familiar, James is a book in the New Testament towards the back, and so Hebrews is the other big book that it's near, um, but Hebrews, James, um, if you're in First and Second Peter, Jude, First, Second, Third John, or Revelation, you have to go back a little bit more, um, but James is just this small short letter of full of wisdom that finds itself right at the end of, uh, towards the end of the New Testament. And today we're in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Before we come to the reading of God's word, let's pray together. God, You invite us in this very passage uh, to be mindful of our words. Lord, we give you thanks for the good gift of your word to us. That not only were these words uh, written and that they are written for us this day, but that by your living incarnate word, your son Jesus Christ, you continue to show us the way. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, this word is the illumined word of God made clear to us for our challenge, for our encouragement, for our growth, and that this growth is not just to become a better person, but that this growth is so that we may be more faithful disciples of you in all that we do, in all that we think, and especially today in all that we say. As we consider our words, Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. Illuminate to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. James chapter 3. Verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That got your attention, didn't it? What does that sound like? A dog, a big dog. Now, 
Imagine you're going to someone's house, and that's the first thing that you hear as you open your car door, a big dog. And then you look, and you see that big dog coming right towards you. Are you afraid? Yes, no, maybe so. A lot of it depends on how much you like dogs or not. And what are the words you usually hear the owners of the dog saying? Oh, don't worry, he's friendly. As this dog comes charging towards you, indeed, he looks friendly. He's just curious. Curiosity's got a lot of teeth. I like dogs. I really do. And so those scenarios of going to someone's house and having a big dog comes towards you, it doesn't make me that nervous. I do know people who are afraid of dogs who are very nervous and are like, I'll just stay in my car until you take the dog away. And then it's like, oh, no, he's really nice. Debatable. I give Caitlin and I some credit for at least we're honest. We only have a cat, but we'll tell you that our cat is terrible and that it hates everything. So at least you know what you're getting yourself into. Why, though, do those dogs make us nervous? It's their size as they come towards us. But even if we like dogs, a dog that we know, a dog that we don't know, all of us know of someone, or maybe we ourselves, have gotten bit by a dog. And most of us are aware that no matter how good and gentle an animal is, they all have those moments where they can snap. What about what happens when a dog does bite someone? Does it matter that the dog was tame? Does it matter that the dog is usually really nice? Does that mean when a dog does bite someone that it doesn't matter? No. It still matters. There's still impact of when a dog that is otherwise friendly and otherwise nice bites someone, it matters. We are right to be just a little bit cautious of a big dog that we don't know. Don't pet a dog that you don't know without the owner's permission, right? Because we have a good reason to be a little bit cautious. Because might not ever be truly tame. James, in practical wisdom and in all that is taught throughout this book, I think approaches the tongue, much like how we should have a healthy caution of a dog that we don't know. Sure, it appears to be tame, but is it ever fully tame? In the same way, James pursues that the tongue, even though we've tamed all kinds of other animals and that we can lead a horse by, around by the by the bit and bridle, we can do all of these things, but is our tongue ever truly tame? Does the danger or the potential of harm from the words that we speak and share ever completely disappear? James would say, no. The tongue is always a restless evil, as he puts it, full of potential for harm. And it's almost a guarantee that each of us, at some point in our lives, will harm someone with our words by what we said, by what we didn't say, by how we said it, or when we said it. Each one of us has to face that reality. Part of why Pastor Audrey and I did this skit was just to give a little bit of life. And, and a few of you in the room are preachers, um, two right, well, three right next to each other, the Van Lewins and Andy Bissardi from uh, denominational staff. So try not to be extra intimidated this morning um, as we have our guests with us, especially as we talk about preaching styles and got all vulnerable here. But we each have things that are unique to us that we're maybe a little bit guarded about. We have spots in our lives that are easy to wound, 
And all of us, just by what we say, have the potential to wound others. What James pushes on us again and again and again throughout the whole book is what I would call an ethic of consistency. What James is after is that we are consistent in our word, thought, and deed. That our actions, if you remember the tire from a week ago, that our faith and our actions is where the rubber meets the road, that there's some traction to who we are and how we live, that what we think is in line, that we're at least looking towards God to be refreshed and sustained and challenged and rebuked by God's Holy Spirit. But here at James 3, the middle of the book, in James chapter 3, we're given the example of our words and how easy it is for us to hurt with our words. One of the things that James doesn't give us a lot of way out on this, there's a guarantee that you're going to hurt someone with your words, but there's not actually a step-by-step process of how to mediate that or how to come back to it and make things better. Words are tricky because there is both the intent of the speaker and the reception of the hearer. And I remember having a conversation with a mentor a few years ago in the same office that I'm in now about in leadership, at some point or another, you will say something wrong and it will cause a problem. And you might not have meant it that way, you might not have known, but it will cause a problem and you'll have a mess to clean up. I had that conversation with Pastor Josh several years ago. This last year, I had that same conversation with Nathan Longfield. And I'm sure in time, Nathan will have that conversation with someone else. And I say this, and Pastor Roger and I even use the example of preaching style, because James 3 is at first addressed to not all of you should presume to be teachers. But I want us to hold intention that this letter is for everyone. This isn't just for pastors and elders. This isn't just for people who teach in Sunday school or youth group. This letter is for all of us. Because in essence, a teacher is someone who passes on what they have learned. And we believe, as Christians, that all of us have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it is my operating assumption that all of you have learned something in your walk with God. And if you've learned something and are willing to share that, you also can be a teacher. This passage isn't just for teachers and leaders. In the more formal sense, it is for all of us in the ways in which we share our learning. This letter isn't just for those who are in positions of leadership. It is for all of us. But what James is aware of is that teachers and leaders, people in the public eye, will be under more scrutiny. Good, bad, or indifferent, that simply just is. Consider right now, even allegations. People do silly things in churches. I'm sure that at Willow Creek Church, there were allegations of sexual misconduct before, but it never really made the public news until the allegations were about Bill Hybels. And then there was all the public inquiry. I'm sure people have said insensitive things about situations of domestic abuse that should not be said. But none of that mattered as much until John Piper seemed to kind of laugh off a question about domestic abuse in regards to wives being submissive to their husbands. Then there was public scrutiny. I'm sure that people have been emotionally and verbally abusive in churches, but it didn't get the same attention as it did until Mark Driscoll was under investigation for being abusive. Leaders get scrutiny. 
Sometimes rightfully so, sometimes not. But James's point is that if you have some sense of ownership, if you are a visible part of the church, your words are going to matter a lot. Each one of us in that way is a teacher of what we say. My dad used to always say, everyone knows something you don't. That also means that you know something that the person you're talking to doesn't know. Everyone knows something you don't. You are a teacher if you so choose to be. But also, you are a leader because often a leader is nothing more than the person who takes the most ownership of the situation that they're in. If your life of discipleship, of following Christ, has a sense of ownership behind it, if this is significant to you, then you do have ownership over the witness of the church and what you say and how you say it and even how you intended it, whether it was received correctly or not, carries weight by your ownership of your identity as an ambassador in Christ. Thanks be to God that Christ's ownership of you and all of us and me far outweighs that in the fact that we belong to Christ when we get it right and share the right word and when we get it miserably wrong. Some of the hardest things to fix are when we're not sure how to bring up a conversation that was had that did not go well. James is simply aware of this and uses no shortage of strong language to say that the tongue is set on fire by hell. I think of that in those moments where I really didn't mean it that way or I was surprised to hear later that someone took something the way I said it. Words that are careless. It's like the devil just snuck in. Full of deadly poison. Deadly poison? Really? James says, yes, really. And the ethic of consistency that James pursues is this that we're not like a salt water or a salt spring or a fresh water spring. And it's interesting that James ends with saying, a salt spring cannot produce fresh water. James operates with the assumption that we are saltwater springs with our words trying to produce some fresh water rather than I think we'd like to think of ourselves as generally freshwater springs with maybe an occasional bit of salt that comes out on accident or maybe not so much on accident. But where do we go with this? Where do we go with the fact that perception is reality to the person that you spoke to whether you meant it or not? Where do you go with the fact that sometimes when you're anxious or upset, you're going to say things that you knew were wrong? And then you have to make a conscious choice on how you're going to own that or not own it. How do we deal with the reality that we all know that trust is destroyed easily with one thought or action or deed or a simple word? Trust and reputation and witness are easily threatened by careless words. If we are owners and teachers as people of God, how do we hold on to that integrity of witness? James doesn't give us a lot of way out. Although next week, when Pastor Audrey preaches, and she'll do well with a manuscript or however she does, next week we'll hear a little bit about what kind of wisdom we're pursuing. But for this part of chapter 3, James simply wants to get our attention and leave no doubt in our mind that caution with our words is needed. The constructive side 
that I think we can see, even within the choices of analogy that James uses, is that there is a good side to each one of the examples that James puts in James chapter 3. For instance, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. Now, I will just throw in, and I'm going to lose some points with some families here. Psalm 32, verse 9 is one of my favorite verses. Do not be like the horse or donkey, which are stupid and have no understanding, but must be led by the bit or bridle. I love that verse, because I don't really like horses. Dogs, great. Horses, challenge. But yet, James is saying, look at all of the things that we do because of that control. Consider now, if the Lord has control of your tongue, if you are conscious about the words that you say, that every single moment you are a witness for the church. If God has control of your tongue, then he has control of all of you. This is what James is after. And sure, there might be some, th- some, some thoughts rumbling around. There might be some things that you have to leave unsaid from time to time or at least wait for the right moment to say it. That words are not for hurting. But yet, if there is some thought process into the words we say, if we're willing to think hard enough, to be disciplined enough in what we say, then we have given control over to God. That this is not just us becoming better communicators or better people, but to say, God, how do you want me to use the words of my mouth this day? God used words to create the world. What kind of world do we create with our words? James uses the example of ships, that they're large and driven by strong winds and they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. As if this is a bad thing, James is simply reminding us again, that tongue has great power in the way it directs and steers you and how you navigate your own relationships. But it doesn't mean that we say the rudder's bad, does it? We need the rudder to be able to maneuver ships and to be able to go through the rocks and to be able to bring ourselves into the dock. For all of this, for all of this, we are grateful that there is a small rudder with which we can steer the ship. And there should be a sense of gratitude that our words can have such an impact on someone, sometimes that we don't even know. James wants consistency in Christian living. This ethic of consistency continues on. And the example of the ship has come up before in James chapter 1. He talks about being careless or blown about by the winds. If you have the rudder and you have the sails, you can steer into and work with the winds and the waves. From James 1, we're worried about being tossed about. In James 3, we're raising the stakes of intentionality that in all things you are steered well by what you say. Am I taking a moment to think about it? Or sometimes by coming back to a moment that you know is painful. And in those moments, to not try to get your way with the conversation, but to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry as James has already taught us. That you're wondering what the impact of your words were, not trying to defend that you were right in what you said. Because when we're angry or undeniably confident, We can become careless and hurtful. With one tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness, who are created in God's image. Don't get rid of the rudder, but be intentional about what it's steering itself towards. 
And the small spark certainly can set the whole forest on fire. Long before the days of Smokey Bear, James chapter 3 contained that truth. A great forest can be set on fire by a small spark. Fire can be dangerous, just like our words are dangerous. And yet, fire is also used in Hebrews 12 to describe God as a consuming fire in a good way. In the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they're put into the fiery furnace, the fire only burns away the ropes that are tying their hands. Fire is used to purify just as much as it can be used to burn. So for James, the intent is simply this. In an ethic of consistency, of guarding the danger of your words, don't burn the forest down. Don't create a harsh world. Instead, purify your own tongue in the same way that Isaiah had a coal touched to his tongue because he was a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. Be purified. Pursue an ethic of consistency. Hopefully we give grace also when people do apologize. When apologies and explanation of impact can be explained and heard and doesn't become an ongoing battle to even more dig in our heels to what we want to be said or why we think we were right in what we said. Pursue full and whole words. As a witness, as a witness of this church, as someone who seeks to show a more excellent way than a world of cynicism and sarcasm, of backbiting and gossip, of malicious words. No, no. This is not fitting for people who have been forgiven by God. A world of forgiveness, a world of grace, a world of curiosity and humility for the impact that we might have on others. A world where we think about the power that our tongue has to steer us, either towards the rocks or to be blown about by the winds, or on course as one body. Oof! Just had to get one more in there. Just as you're never totally sure about the dog that you don't know, don't give yourself a free pass on the impact of your words, but be ever cautious. May this be our witness. May this be how we speak. May it be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. May this be the fruit of our words. And may this development of caution for what we say go with us through our whole lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. God, it was with words that you created the world. It was with words that you taught us. When you spoke the words in the story of the prodigal son, all that I have is yours. Lord, you use words to build us up and to correct us. Help us to be mindful of your words, not just that we may be better communicators, though that's a great side effect, but that we may be effective witnesses for you that we know that sometimes our words will be held to unfair scrutiny and that that just is. Help us to rise up and meet the occasion with the wisdom and power of your Holy Spirit to speak well into all times and situations and places. 
And may this be done that we may be your ambassadors, sharing the words of the King on behalf of the King. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.